Hi everyone, it's Joachim Makren, your host of the Elite Game Developers Podcast, a podcast about the entrepreneurs and investors who are building the games companies of the future. In this podcast episode, I'm talking with Alexander Bergendahl, who is the co-founder and CEO of LootLocker, a games backend solution company from Stockholm, Sweden. Alexander is a repeat founder who's been doing games companies for a while now. With Alexander, we talk about his founder journey, learnings from doing his companies, and how Alexander is still learning to be a better founder. The dilemma at the heart of mobile gaming. Monetizing your great work while keeping gamers engaged and not distracted by intrusive ads. Well, our partners on this podcast have a very clever solution. AudioMob delivers in-game audio ads so that game developers can monetize their players without interrupting gameplay. Audio ads are better at retaining happy gamers than video ads and can actually work alongside video ads too. This is all the while having much higher CPMs than banner ads, up to 600% higher. AudioMob's Unity plugin is simple to set up. It can take just minutes, allowing complete privacy control, and you can even reward players for extra gratification. Simple, clever, and rewarding. Go to audiomob.com for details and to speak to the team. Okay, we're recording. Hi, Alexander. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Sure thing. Hey, this is like an interesting discussion that we're going to be having. We we chatted about this a while ago and there was so much kind of founder journey topics that we were both curious about and top of mind constantly. So looking forward to talking about those all of those today. Yeah, I think it's important for new founders and old founders to always talk about their journey because it's never a straight line. And there's always a lot of a lot of stuff that you go through and, and things you learn. And the only way to help other people is by sharing that you've gone through these things as well, because it can be, especially as like a CEO, it can be extremely um, isolating at the top and lonely. So knowing that there are other founders that have had the same struggles of you as you've had is really beneficial and, and makes everyone feel a little better. Hey, as the first question, I wanted to hear your origin story and how you made your way into the games industry and to become a founder. So I grew up playing games like most people that was born that were born in the 80s. I played a game Metal Gear Solid 2 and that came with a, a DVD of the making of the game. And that was like my first experience of like seeing behind the scenes of like how Hideo Kojima built Metal Gear Solid 2 and mocap and you know building the game and I I, I actually loved the game. So it was the perfect sort of prologue to the to to to, to playing it. And so I knew I wanted to get into games at that point, but I had no technical skills. I hated school. So I like, I knew I could, wasn't going to go to university for games. And so I eventually just got a job in QA at Avalanche Studios here in Stockholm and 
climbed my way up from there to, to QA at, at Grin, at Chaos Studios in New York for a little bit, and then joined a indie publisher called Autumn Games in New York. They were like, you know, what Raw Fury and Devolver are doing now, but a little too early for the market where you had to, you know, for, to release games on digitally on console, you had to also, you know, release a, a number of disc-based games and stuff like that. And it was a very hard model. So they didn't, they didn't, you know, they weren't so successful. But at that point, I, I wanted to find my own company. I thought I could do it myself. You know, you have to be a little naive to be a founder. And my older brother had been a entrepreneur in the, in the 90s during the uh, dot-com boom and had been quite successful. So I think it's in our blood. Most of my family is entrepreneurial. Um, so I, I started my first company about 10 years ago, Poppermost, where we made a game called Snow, which was a free-to-play open world skiing and snowboarding game which was mildly successful. And we raised a little bit of VC money. We had you know, a couple million players. We had a couple hundred thousand monthly active users at one point, but ultimately couldn't get the, the monetization to work. So that, that ended up being a good six year journey. And then I left that and joined HatRabbit, which was a bunch of ex dice early employees that had also helped start their Robio Stockholm studio. And I joined as a chief operating officer. And a little over a year later, we sold the company to King which is a lot of fun to go through. And then from there, I, I co-founded uh, Loot Locker and was part of the founding team of a company called Aurora Punks as well, which is sort of an indie developer collective. I wanted to actually ask about the punting there because like this really relates to my background as well. It's just kind of entrepreneurial family. Like from my mother's side, like there was everybody was an entrepreneur uh, when I was growing up. So I basically was like growing up like yeah. between people who are just, you know, doing doing what they love, building businesses. So there was like a, this kind of like glass, I would say cutting industry in mm. where I grew up in Vasa, where where the family business was booming until the late nineties when it all crashed yes. uh, with the, the Soviet market. So I'm sort of going away, but I, I still, you know, go back to kind of that heritage of thinking about like how they operated, how was the, the mindset and how much they loved that thing. How do you think, why does it matter that the family had the entrepreneurial background? I think you need to see someone do it to want to, to see that as possible. I think it's, uh, like you said, it's a mindset. You need to be able to take that risk and have that in your, in your mind that like you can figure these things out and that not everything has to go to plan and that there has to have, you know, these set blocks to do something. It's very much about like, oh yeah, I can do this myself. And that if you if you have that, then you're more likely probably to see a problem and be like, wait, can I fix this my problem myself, or could I do this myself? You know, I I didn't have like decades of years uh, decades of experience in the games industry, but I was like, I see an opportunity here. I know this space, which is winter sports, um, really well. Can I build this game? Like, can I meet find the people to do it? And I just you know slowly piece pieced it together and, and then obviously being able to talk to my brother who was an entrepreneur and get his advice and stuff like that that also helps as well yeah i like i've been thinking that there's a form of comfort that comes from being surrounded by entrepreneurs like now i'm doing the elite game developers it's sort mm -hmm. of like the, the surroundings i i grew up with like that comfort of being around those kind of people. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. And, and then once you do it once, it's, I think it's, I find it very hard not to want to continue to do it. And every time I've got an idea, I, I like want to find a way to, to, to see it through. I had an idea of like a 
children's classical music poster. And I was like, you just, I get obsessed with that idea. And I'm just like thinking about it all the time until I'm like, all right, let me just find an artist and have them like pay them to make this thing for me because I'm not an artist, but I want this thing to exist. And so I just go out and find someone and do it. Before we talk more about the founder journey, can you introduce your new company, Loot Locker? So Loot Locker is a game backend as a service, and it's designed for sort of the majority of game developers. And I did a sort of big study and, and found that 70% of game developers are teams of under 10 people. Um, and that often means that they don't have a backend developer and, you know, most of the time don't, you know, have all the competencies, competencies needed to build, to build the game that they want to build. And, you know, the table stakes for what games are these days is getting higher and higher. So these backends are, are becoming more and more part of, you know, building a successful game. And I think Among Us is a really great example where a team of three people building, you know, the first, first time game together, you know, is launched and is played by half a billion people in a year, but they don't have a, a backend to build a game on. I mean, they had multiplayer, but from a, from a, you know, player accounts and, and live ops position, they weren't in a position to do anything with it and, and lost, lost out on probably a, a lot of, of, a lot of retention and a lot of um, monetization opportunities. So we launched about a couple of years ago. We have thousands of developers on the platform, several hundred active games. And late last year, we actually raised our, our seed round of, of just over $2 million. And I think we'll hopefully have announced that by the time this episode goes live. Hey, let's go and talk about the founder journey, specifically from the first founder lens. Like now that you're looking back at the moments when you were starting your companies, if you could go back and give advice to yourself at those early stages, what would you say? First, I would have to find a way to persuade myself to listen to myself because yeah. I think first-time founders can be quite stubborn. And so assuming that I would actually listen to my own advice, I think I would try and probably tell myself to not do everything at once. We had a very big vision. You know, we, as a, as a team of three people, one programmer, one artist, and myself, we wanted to build a free-to-play open world winter sports game. So it's like really the three hard things you can choose. A hard business model like free-to-play that requires like a lot of technology. Open world, which is again, you know, open world games are extremely hard to fill the with the amount of content you need. And then a sports game, which requires physics, especially physics that'll eventually sync, you know, online and stuff like that. So I would have probably said like, great idea for a long-term vision, but maybe start with, you know, skip free-to-play and skip maybe, you know, open world and just show that like people want to play a winter sports game and then you can start expanding on other things. So I think that would probably be to be, would be, would be one of them. And then also don't leave money on the table. We had some investors that wanted to invest that we said no to because we'd already filled the round. And I think you never, you always need more money than you need, than you think. So probably take that money in the future. The thing that really like got me curious there was like not listening to advice. I recently reread Good to Great, which I first read in 2010. And I was thinking about like, what do I remember from this book that I put to use, for instance, at Next Games? And it really revealed that I didn't put pretty much anything to use. Yeah. And I, I think it was the reason was that I just couldn't comprehend the insights, how they should be reflected back to what I'm doing at the stage where I'm a very green entrepreneur still not knowing what might come and picking up lessons when I'm re reading a book at that stage when I'm a first-time founder versus like 
gone through so much more and then picking up the book and then you know going through everything that the book talks about and then like oh man this is the greatest book ever yeah and i think that's part also like going taking a time machine going back like 15 years to talk to yourself it might not be that helpful yeah i think it's like you know it's like any craft if you're starting from the scratch from the beginning which you are when you're a first time founder you're learning so much every day mm. it's hard to then take additional instructions and it's like if you're learning an instrument or learning how to do you know woodworking you're already just learning how to do the basic part of it at the beginning if someone comes in and is like oh don't forget to do this really advanced technique it's like well like how am i going to even incorporate that into my mindset when i'm already just trying to survive doing doing you know the basic thing yeah that's so true yeah, it's a really good analogy thinking about like, hey, you know, you're just starting to play the piano, but then somebody shows you something cool and you're like, okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that exactly. was cool. <laughs> yeah. And which is why, you know, you know, and you you know it as, as a venture partner, like investing in a successful entrepreneur who has already been successful once or even not successful, just as has, has done it once before is probably, uh, you know, a much better risk profile. That's so true. Then I wanted to talk to you about the financial risks of being a founder. I think that's one of those obvious ones that the first time founder is thinking about, like, like how much how much of a risk it is to for them actually to to leave their comfortable salary paying job to do a company, but also to take on other risks. Like I took with my first company, probably 60,000 euros of loans that I was guaranteeing to the bank that the company is going to do well and, you know, company will pay them back. But eventually the company, I need to pay those back on my own. And it took like several, several years to pay them back. But in a way, I don't regret too much that area. So it's, it's kind of hard to say that it's bad to take these kind of risks where you're backing loans with your mm-hmm. own capital, especially in this industry where we are quite sought after gaming people. Now, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I think from the, you know, taking a leap of faith and starting your own company and, and, you know, risking your stable salary and stuff like that. I mean, that's so, so personal for different people and, you know, what your background is and, and where you are. I know in, here in Scandinavia, people, I think, have a, a better safety net for them to do that versus in other parts of the world. When it comes to borrowing money, we did the same thing at Poppermost. We actually borrowed well over a hundred thousand euros, but not from a regular bank, but a government backed lender for sort of innovation and startups. So they were a little bit more forgiving and a little bit more flexible maybe than your normal bank, which I think was very good for us because ultimately we, you know, we defaulted on that even after they paused any type of repayment and interest and anything like that. We ended up having to, to default. And what we had done when we um, set up the loan with our shareholders is that they guaranteed the loan for the founders because we each had to personally guaranteed more than we could afford. But, you know, talking with all the shareholders, they said, you know, this is definitely worthwhile. We'll back you in case this happens. And ultimately they did actually have to, have to, 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 to guarantee it. I would only do it really, I would only do it again if, if we had the same sort of guarantee, because it was definitely an addition, an additional stress. And I'm happy we protected the founders on it. It sounds like you had to personally pay back this loan. So maybe that was a little bit more stressful for you personally. So I, I probably would only do it if there was sort of like a, a bit of a, a safety buffer around there. Yeah, it's 
personally, I'm just thinking like, okay, 2007, 2006 was the, the time frame when this happened. And there wasn't really any options since there was no early stage VC, no angels putting money into gaming. So the options were quite limited anyways. And I, it was, I wanted it so badly to actually mm-hmm. try out to do a startup in a sense, like if I wouldn't have done it, I would have like felt really miserable. So I, it was a price to pay that was worth paying. Yeah. So I, I think the optionality nowadays is that, okay, if you're not able to attract investors for your startup, like there must be something you could figure mm-hmm. out or, you know, strengthen your team before you go for that loan. I think it might not be that necessarily nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. Gaming is uh, surprisingly or not surprisingly popular these days. Yeah. I'm not trying to fix that with the elite game developers materials. <laughs> you don't need to back those loans personally, but yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, what are other risks do you see founders need to kind of embrace when they do their first company? I think you need to sort of be comfortable with the risks and it kind of goes back to the, 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 the entrepreneurial mindset. And be in a position where you're comfortable making promises and setting really big goals, even though you know that you might not achieve those things because it's, you know, it's easier to, you, you need to grease the wheels with partners and, you know, people around you and your network and, you know, make things happen and make, make things seem like they're happening so that you can, you know, build a momentum that can help you, you know, raise the money or, or sign a deal. It's easier to like ask for, ask for forgiveness after the fact than ask for approval beforehand. And, you know, that general mentality, I think is really important and you need to like run fast and move fast and just having general energy. I think another one is, and I've, I've been trying to come up with the, the right wording. I was watching an interview with Elon Musk about him building his latest rocket, uh, rocket ship called Starship. And he was saying how when they went through the design process, they removed as many things as they could out of, out of building, out of the rocket. So they make it as simple of a design as possible. And that he thinks that there's like a, a rule around that where you need to remove so much stuff that you actually are adding stuff back in 10% of the time. And I think that that's sort of an interesting philosophy. And I think in game development, we could apply that too. And I think that's where the hyper-casual developers are doing a great job of just being like, how, dis- how can we distill this idea down to the most simple thing possibly so that we're actually adding stuff back in because there's not enough of a game to, to actually release. And I think at that point, you're optimized for just like shipping something because so much so much of game development is actually just getting something out of the door because you can't be successful until you do that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like I'm, I'm thinking just about the founders who, who like myself just got like a crazy idea and just started doing it without a lot of preparation. Yeah. That, that's, that's kind of the interesting thing is like how much preparation should an optimal founder have regarding the team, regarding the idea, uh, even validation. You know, you could spend a few years doing that, but it might not make sense. Yeah, it's uh, always a, a challenge, right? You're, you've got more energy to spend on a certain thing than on another element. And often the thing that you've got energy to spend on is things that move you forward um, in the short term rather than, you know, set you up and prepare you for the long-term and the structure that you need for that long-term growth. And I think that's sort of, it. you need to do that. And that's why entrepreneurs move fast compared to big companies where they always have to think about long-term structure and setting things up for the long-term. And that's why bigger companies usually, usually move uh, slower. Yeah. Then a, another topic that is, I think, something that the, the first-time founder would be benefiting a lot from is 
becoming better at learning. Uh, I, I just recently had a, a recording with the, the guys from Audio Mob, Christian and Wilfred, and Christian talked about his way of learning, which is super interesting. Like, like basically attacking a topic from all different sides and surfacing things in different kind of ways. Kind of like he talked about like how he he learned stuff in university and now how he's applying things to understanding gaming because he comes from a like a ad tech background, which is fascinating. That like just going into like what I wanted to ask you is like what have you seen as the moments where you've learned the most uh, which led to actually becoming a better founder? Yeah, I think, you know, I think when you going through the hardest parts of being a founder and the hardest stages um, is probably where you learn the most as a founder. I think the things that they can't teach you in business school is how to deal with things when, you know, shit hits the fan and you have to really prove your your grit and your leadership. Because let's say you, you know, like like for, for my company, you know, we were 10 people, we had, you know, less than a, a month's salary left you know, we can't be in a position where we can't pay salary because, you know, then we're personally as the board members in debt to the employees. So, you know, what do you do? How do you, how do you handle that situation? And you can't, can't really teach that. That's the situation you need to be, find yourself in to learn and learn, you know, what are you made of? Um, and, and you, what you find out is that you can be very creative with where you can find money and where you can cut costs. You learn to, you know, be humble and, and learn about, you know, delaying payments and talking, you know, emailing vendors and partners and being like, Hey, you know, can you help us out here? You learn about being transparent with your, with your team and with your investors and asking your investors for help, which can be very scary because, you know, you think they only want to hear the positive news and it's scary sometimes to go to them with, with the negative news, your team, you need to both it's a very fine balance between giving them the, the the inspiration, the hope that everything will be fine, but also making sure that you know they don't they can sort of see the writing on the wall a little bit, but not so much that they go out and start looking for jobs because then they're not focused on on solving helping solve the problem that the company's in. And I think the hardest thing that you 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 learn is is having to lay off people, which is the scariest because like not paying a bill is one thing, but actually having to tell someone that they're not employed anymore can be really emotionally draining what do you think about like learning stuff while while you are still a founder like you're you're, like being a founder is so hectic there's so much to do like how do you still find time to to read and do stuff like that is it even possible (laughs) yeah because like we were talking about this right so it's it's yeah it's it's a very curious topic yeah i mean you're talking about like advice that you'd give your past self earlier and I think one of the hardest things to do when you're a founder is to just focus on yourself and focus on your company and not look, you know, you go on LinkedIn and you scroll through LinkedIn feed and it's like scrolling through Instagram and you're Mm. just like feeling bad for yourself because all these other people are raising lots of money and they're hiring Mm. and they're doing all these amazing things. And you just sit there like, why, what are we doing wrong? I mean, while we were running, while I was running Poppermost, this was 2012, 2013, you guys in Finland were just raising you know, huge amount of money because you're all, you know, everyone was focused on, on mobile games and we were, you know, across the water building a PC console game and no one, you know, no one wanted to back that. So it was for me, it was like, you know, I would constantly be sitting there just drained because I'm looking at all these other people looking far more successful. And so you, you need to kind of have your blinders on a little bit right here. You know, see people talking about it, reading and doing all these, these educational things. You're like, I don't have time for this. I'm trying to survive right here. I would actually ask you, you know, you, you work with founders. How do you help them deal with this? Good question. I think there's so much 
things happening underneath the headlines of raising 20 million, for instance. Like there are still companies of people where there are similar problems with like you put a lot of people together quickly through a process where, you know, even though you're doing everything right, you're reading Ben Horowitz's books, like putting all the good company culture stuff in there, it's still going to be quite messy in any company, even though how much money they have. Like money doesn't solve all your people problems. It doesn't solve the game not having good KPIs. I think that's that's something that doesn't get talked enough yeah. about in the media. And that's exactly. why founders, yeah, you you get this fear that you, you are failing because you're not announcing the biggest funding round uh, yeah. or even a, a funding round. So yeah, I think we need to create a better culture where when people are successful, they take the time and, you know, post funding, write a blog post about how hard it was to actually get this funding. And it wasn't just them going out and having money thrown at them, but they were, you know, they'd been raising for a year and had no success and they had to pivot their story or pivot their technology, you know, do something. And all these things failed until it finally worked because it's that stuff that you just don't see. And everybody just talks about the positive stuff. And, you know, I think it's, it, it, you know, from, from mental health, it's not, not so great. Yeah, I was actually, this happened like a few years ago after I left Next Games. I was, it was a, like a, a Zoom session with quite a big founder, one of the, the Twitch founders. And there was a Q&A and I asked him, like, how should founders talk about burnout? Like people who are running this multi-billion dollar unicorn startup. How could they talk about burnout or even any kind of startup founder with their investors? And it's he couldn't really answer in a way because you have these fiduciary duties as a if you're an executive, it's not a part of the way that you operate, really. I think it's it's hard because it also shows that you have a medical condition going on. I think it's it is a thing that should be labeled as hey, like how do we get founders to take more time off how did how how should we get founders to to actually like have one or two weeks off once in a while because that's the best productivity hack anyway yeah no exactly i think and it's it's a culture thing you know i i my a lot of my family is, is american and i and my and my father's a very hard working person and i've grown up with that like never stop just keep working even on vacation you're working like and then i that's when i started my first company you know i was the first person in every day i tried to be the last person to leave try to inspire the team to work give us another hour and stuff like that and if a programmer left you know 10 minutes before i expect him to leave i'd sit there and like well i could have put in another 10 minutes like could they not have done them and it's just not a healthy mindset for 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 a leader expecting that of their team or people that are you know they're getting paid to work not to live at this company and for for myself just to like have time off and i think having having kids has helped and then at hat rabbit the, the team there they were so senior and so comfortable with you know their work that they were able to live a lot normal life and have a startup because they could actually they knew you know they were able to spend the time at the office efficiently building what was necessary and i think i learned a lot there of just like okay you can build amazing things and take five your five, full five weeks or six weeks of vacation every year and you can leave at four o'clock in the afternoon and go pick up your kids from school and you don't have to get back on doing emails in the evening like it's okay and i think i realized like i if you just start with that mindset 
and set that as a culture in the company, you, you'll see that your company is just as productive and people are far more happy and you also have a chance to disconnect your brain once in a while. Yeah, the, the idea of raising funding, build a team so that the team can do a lot of the work and you can actually take a, t- a week off without mm-hmm. you know, the company suffering at all. We're humans. So, you know, we're not machines. Yeah. We, are, we kind of act like machines, but we're, yeah. at the end of the day, like, we're humans. And at the end of the day, like, as important as the company is, family should come first. Our lives should come first because we only get one of them. And I think that we, we need to respect that and, and take time off. And that not being said, like there are times when you do need to crunch and, you know, raising money is one of those where you need to be like, all right, the next two months, we're going to just like really push hard. And I'm going to, you know, have meetings every evening and throughout the day and really try to get this done because you do need to compress that time. But at the other, but then right after, yes, take time off, disconnect. It's okay. The world will continue. The company will continue. Yeah, that's a good idea. Like kind of you'd have perhaps this one or two months sprints and whatever happens after the sprint, even though you you didn't raise, you didn't launch the product, whatever, you still take that holiday. Because if you don't succeed in doing what you were meant to do, it's very easy to be like, well, we need to keep doing it until yeah. we get this thing done. But it's like, well, that's, then it's never going to end because then you're you're behind and then you're going to start crunching the next thing. We actually had, we, we participated in an accelerator with Loot Locker in Techstars Accelerator program. And there was a 13-week program. And as a company, we all agreed that like, okay, let's make these 13 weeks worth it and like really push together as the entire company. We were a small company, but everyone sort of participated in it. And I think it's good sometimes to have an opportunity to do that because it does create like a camaraderie among the team and it creates like this special memory. But there was like a clear ending where we all expected life returned back to normal, which it did. Yeah, like I, I wanted to talk to you about the, the Techstars experience because like I'm super fascinated with the accelerator model. I was thinking about three years ago, should a gaming specific accelerator exist perhaps something that would be remote like an online accelerator yeah can you talk about your experience there and how it benefited you and the company yeah i so i've done both the tech stars accelerator which was which was done in the us and it was like a hybrid remote accelerated program but i also did an accelerated program here in stockholm with my first company which was called sting which is sort of the i think maybe the most famous swedish accelerated program um so it's it's great i think you know you look at it from two angles you look at it from you know how is this going to help my company but also i think you should look at it as like how is this going to help me as a founder because it's sort of like a, a mini mba in building a startup you learn so much tons of small little bits that you get taught about, you know, the fundraising process and the psychology around that and, you know, KPIs and how to distill your business down and, you know, get lots of people's, a lot of people to help you and challenge your thoughts about what your business is and how you describe it and how you, what your go-to-market strategy is. And I think that's really helpful because I often make the analogy, like your, your startup is like packing a snowball. You know, the first time you pick up the snow, it's just this kind of like, mushy kind of heap of snow, but as you pack it more and more, it becomes this tighter ball that you can throw further. And that's sort of like a startup with, you know, you have this general idea, but the more you're challenging it, the more you're working on what the, what you're doing and trying to understand what are we trying to do, you're packing it more and that allows you to throw it further, I guess, whatever that analogy is. And I think that that's what these, these accelerated programs do. They really help you focus on that. 
Um, and I, I think that gaming accelerators is, is tricky because your games take so long to build, but there's definitely a lot that can be learned and I'm sure and taught. And the, the amazing thing about Techstars is the mentor program. So part of that is part of the of, of Techstars is that you are you go through a one week mentor madness where you where they open up their network and have dozens and dozens of mentors, whether they're from the gaming industry or from other tech industries, meet with you and you have like back-to-back 20-minute meetings with these uh, mentors. And you do like an entire day of back-to-back meetings for an entire week. And at the end of that program, at the end of that sort of week, you pick which ones you want to be your mentors and have them like be with you throughout this throughout the Techstars program and then after as well. And that's so beneficial just having to explain it, you know, make do your pitch, you know, eight times a day for people that have, you know, wildly different experiences and understandings of your of your of your industry. And it's I think one of the things that have really benefited us the most. Yeah. Like I wanted to actually ask about the the mentor madness. And like I've been hearing a lot of cool stuff about like why combinators like partner meetings where the founders get the chance to to learn from those partners and the, the people there at the accelerator like what were some things that really stuck to your mind from those sessions i don't know if there's any specific thing i mean you you just people challenging your ideas and going back to like the snowball analogy every time someone challenges your idea you know you pack your idea tighter because you you realize okay well that thing that that assumption that I made actually that, that there is a hole in that assumption and I need to figure out if that's a bigger hole or if there's a way I can plug that hole with an answer and I think that that's sort of the best part of it is just constantly you know being challenged and having to to explain your product over and over again because you realize like the first first pitch you make I mean you hear it all I've been doing you know this is my for, being my fourth company and you know, helping other founders with their pitches, you know, the first time you hear someone's pitch, it's all over the place. And then by the time they've done it for a week straight, eight times a day, at the end of it, it is, it is just like a perfect one sentence that's really distilled down exactly what they're doing. And I think that's, that's probably the biggest, the biggest uh, benefit that it gives you. Do you think like these kind of accelerators are good for game studios? I think that it needs to be adapted because of like games taking a much longer time to build or, you know, the hit driven business. But I definitely think that sort of like the mentor system could definitely could, could work quite well if you can create a big enough network and take a bunch of game studios and have them pitch their studio or game idea to people in the games industry that have a lot more experience. They'll be able to get a lot more feedback very quickly and potentially find people that are willing to, you know, be mentors and help them in the long term. I think that that there's definitely something there and the rest of it would have to be adapted to figure out, you know, what is the goal of the, of the accelerator program? Is it just to raise money? Is it to help them build a better game? There's a, there's a bunch of elements there that I I haven't I've thought about it before and I and I haven't got an answer to it. Yeah, I've been thinking about it since the the inception came to my mind a few years ago, but I think now like I would take a batch of companies that are in soft launch, so because it's in soft launch, like with a free-to-play game, you're mm-hmm. still figuring out like what are things going to to look like. I would even look at companies who already have tried to scale the user acquisition a bit. Then it's you can apply similar similar advice, similar mentoring, similar challenges, challenging their assumptions to the face of how to scale. Yeah, I think the challenge there would be to, you know, you usually accelerated programs take some type of equity as, as sort of a payment. And 
I think maybe people, if they've already soft launched, might might be a harder sell to the, to get them to give up some equity for you. But I think it's I think that needs to happen. I think accelerated programs exist for a reason, and you know Y Combinator is probably the most successful one, and, and TechStars is the second most successful, and they have vastly different techniques. You know, Y Combinator has you know hundreds of companies in their in their batches, and they put them through sort of a very similar machine and spit them out at the end with this Y Combinator label, which they all can raise money off. Whereas TechStars is you know they pick twelve companies and they they work very closely with each one of them, and it's it's there's a lot to a lot to learn there. Yeah, there sure is. Yeah, and then then thinking about the the crypto side, which is still such a big question mark, it might even be worthwhile to have a crypto accelerator yeah yeah interesting yeah. hey then thinking about like your experiences now building loot locker for for the past few years what are you attempting to do differently with this company than what you did with your previous companies yeah obviously you know this is the first time i'm doing like a technology company versus a game sort of content business but from a high level perspective i think what i've learned and what i'm doing differently this time around is when I'm pitching this company, I'm presenting a, a or I'm leaning on the sort of a future trend with where you know the loot locker and backends as a service sits and and talking about where the industry is going in a very exciting way. And I think with build building Poppermost and with Snow, you know, we didn't it was we, we weren't as good at sort of we, we had an idea of where we wanted to go, but it was very hard to sort of pitch this as this is where the industry is going. Ultimately, what we were building was Fortnite meets action sports. So, you know, a platform of action sports that sort of transcends games like Fortnite does and has, you know, in-game events that are, you know, from different parts of the industry, you know, being able to show off the latest ski or snowboard movie in-game and have it as a social event. But we didn't have that. We didn't present it in a way that this is where the industry is going. It was a little harder back then to imagine that. So I think with Lou Locker, we're just always talking about like, where is the industry going and how are we, you know, the famous Wayne Gretzky skate to where the puck is going. I think applies there. And I think that's been, has been really helpful for us. Before we go to the final questions, I wanted to ask, what are some key areas where you still find challenges as a founder? Sometimes it feels like everything, but I think going back to what we talked about a little earlier, I think raising money, it's still, you know, this is the, being the fourth company. I, I, it's still hard. You think it would be easier. And, you know, we're actually going to write a, a postmortem on our website about what we what we did to raise this. And and part of that, I was looking at sort of the actual funnel that we had and all the investors I spoke to. And I saw I, I counted 130 investors that we reached out to, whether they're VCs or, or angels or syndicates. And we had, you know, about 80 or more people pass. And it's just, it can be feeling, feel really defeating going through that. But you know, it, it worked in the end, but it, it doesn't feel like it's getting necessarily any easier, even though I know it is. Good one. Hey, Alexander, let's go to the final questions. What's your favorite book and why? I've, I've probably listened to all of your podcast episodes. And every time they get to this question, I'm waiting for someone to say, oh, I don't actually read or I don't have time to read because I feel terrible when I listen to all these founders that are reading all these books. I don't like to read. I don't know when I, when they have time to do it, but I would like to give a shout out to other people that don't like to read as well and that don't read in their in their spare time. <laughs> that being said, out of the out of the few books that I have read, I would say that my favorite book is The Beatles Biography by Bob Spitz, 
which is sort of, I think, the de facto biography of the Beatles, which I'm a big Beatles fan, and it's a fantastic history of what they did in 10 years, is, is really amazing. And then it's not a book, but I'm going to give it a shout out anyway. It's another podcast, which isn't game related, but is something that brings me joy every week, which is the Strong Songs podcast, which it's, it's actually an ex-game journalist from Kotaku um, who has this podcast where he breaks down songs down to like the musical elements. And from a sort of an artistic creative perspective, I find it really fascinating to hear these songs that you're familiar with and then have them broken down to, you know, their chord structure and all that stuff. We should have that for our game as well. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, yeah. Deconstructor Fun does a little bit of that. Yeah, yeah. We need some more, more of those. Yeah. Do you have a story that shaped you and how you approach your work today? I definitely do. In my first company, I had an opportunity randomly at the, at the co-working space that I was at, there was some sort of type of pitch event. And I was like, oh, I might as well just sign up to it. It never hurts to practice your pitch. And doing that, I met some random guy who, you know, I spent 10 minutes with talking about the company and, and never heard of him again. And then a month later, an angel investor from Stockholm reached out to me and he had been told by this person that, you know, I was someone that I should speak to. And this was sort of the first outside money that we ended up raising, which, you know, snowballed into a sort of angel group and then eventually turned, you know, brought on a VC to raise our first proper round. And so what I've learned from that is like, you you know, the firstly, the path to success or, um, you know, the next successful moment is, you know, you've got that, that classic image where it's like the path to success, what you think it is, is a straight line, but it's actually this like squiggly line. It's not even that it's, it's a dotted line that goes around all of that because it's, it's the path is something that you're not expecting. And I think what I learned here was take the meeting, talk to your, you know, your cousin's friend at a party and tell them about your company, because you never know who someone knows and who someone might be able to introduce you to that might unlock a new door to a new, a new part of your journey. So I'm always, while it does take time, you know, I'm always trying to take opportunities like that. Hey, that's the last question. Alexander, what's the best way for people in the audience to get in contact with you? Yeah, I think just write up, write an email. I, I'm a proud zero inboxer, so I do reply to every email I get. So they can email me, alexander at lootlocker.io. That's so awesome. Hey, Alexander, this was so much fun. We could have probably like talked another hour still about Definitely. these topics of the father Definitely. stuff. But yeah, so much good stuff came up. So happy, really happy that you came on the show. Yeah, no, really enjoyed it. And, you know, I think it's great for entrepreneurs, whether they've been successful or not, to share their stories so that we can all learn from them and we all, you know, see that we all go through this similar, similar things. Exactly. So true. Hey, have a good day, man. And you too. Uh, I'll see you. See you yeah. out there somewhere. Definitely. <laughs> bye bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Before you move on, please remember to follow or subscribe to our show so that you'll get notified when next week's episode is live. See you next week. Bye-bye.